So I want to hear all about this Jaguar and Sewell Goodwin. Like, give us a teaser here, Brad. <laughs> well, Sewell Goodwin, he was a rancher, and uh, he had some ranches in Arizona at one time, and then he ended up over by Cliff or Gila, New Mexico. And uh, But he was a houndsman, and a good houndsman, had some really good dogs. And him and an old lion hunter named Ted Ferguson, I think they're one of the last ones to have caught a lion or caught a jaguar in the United States. And they caught it in a cave somewhere down in Arizona. But uh, when you listen to Sewell, you know, he's another one kind of like Ollie Barney. You know, he just uh, he has that 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 glimmer in his eye or whatever it is. You know, he just you can tell he just loves the hounds. and He loves hunting, you know, and has some really good stories. And from what I understand, he has a really good collection of pictures and and uh, memorabilia, you know, from over the years. And, and I know at one time. They were going to try to get that collection and put it in the uh, Farm and Ranch Heritage Museum here in Las Cruces. And I don't know if they ever got it or not or what's ever happened. Oh, but, cool. but, but he's a heck of a guy. He's another one of those old time rancher guys that ran hounds. I'm sure that he's the same kind that if there was something needed to be done and somebody cut a lion track somewhere, he'd quit what he was doing and go run the lion. So, man, those guys were a different breed. They were I on mean, the land, you know. You think about it, they were on the land all the time. They were out checking fence, checking cows, hauling salt, you know, doing whatever, checking waters. So they were always out and about. So they had a lot of opportunity and uh, had those old fashioned hounds. And I got to hunt with a friend of mine, Keith Wilkerson. And after uh, uh, Sewell passed away, Keith got his dogs. So mm. I got to hunt with some of Sewell's dogs. And oh, wow. they were sure enough the real deal. Oh, I'd imagine you got to be the real deal down where you guys live. Yeah, hey, that, that country is brutal. <laughs> yeah those guys are you know yeah you know he has some good stories of running bears and and he you know he, he quit like a lot of those guys they quit running bears and they just kind of focus on lions because a little slower paced and they all seem to, like everybody you've talked to i've noticed that is they would much rather chase a lion than a bear and i i just found that interesting you know you would think down there from what i've heard about the hunting you, you wouldn't be real picky but i guess it's just that desire to be a cat hunter more than anything just a different style you know those those old bears you know you 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 get them started and whatever and next thing you know you just hear your dogs going over the next you know the next ridge and you're spurring and kicking and doing whatever you can to get over there to them and and then they're going over the next ridge you know it's not a it's not like you can drive around and, and cut your dogs or whatever and the lion hunting for the most part it's a it's just a a slow old methodical you get to watch those dogs cold trail and you can mm -hmm. stay with the dogs and you can watch them work and you know just a totally different style of it's hunting, a different right? perspective for sure yeah yeah until you and i mean until you you know really cold trailed lines in the dirt you know it's 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 a hard thing to to understand i guess or or to it's not a race it's just working out a track right oh that's a good description of it actually yeah it's it's, it's a well, I've been looking forward to it. So guys, again, remember to check out Brett over at Born 100 Years Too Late. And he's going to have the video content for this episode with Sewell Goodwin up. Uh, thanks for joining us. We hope to see you next time. Okay. We're with Mr. Sewell Goodwin out of uh, Glenwood, New Mexico. Today is October the 10th. Sewell, if you could tell us a little bit about your background, where you was born, raised, and how you got started out here. Well... I was born in somewhere in Pennsylvania, and I wound up in Nogales, Arizona when I was about three years old. I went to school in Nogales and in Tucson. In my younger, younger days, I left home and went to work for, as a cowboy. And I worked for Will Hathaway, and I got $60 a month. Then I worked for different ranches, Marshall Ashburn, uh, Horton Noon, and... Um, I was around the Hathaway family for quite a bit uh, in my younger years, and Dad and Mom Hathaway taught me something that if you want something in this, get what you have to do, you work for it. If you work for it, you appreciate it. If you don't, if it's given to you, you don't appreciate it. Well, I went on, and I bought my first ranch when I was, oh, it was, I think I was 23 years old from Lincoln Hathaway in the Huachuca Mountain. And that's when I started hunting. Um, I had some hounds and a fellow named Alfredo Heredia and Ted Ferguson, both lion hunters, uh, used to camp at Sunnyside. In about 1948, I think I met them both. I knew Alfredo before. That's an old family there. And I kind of got connected with them. And um, I started uh, 
Well, first of all, I had dogs of everything, and Ted told me, he says, if you just keep one or two dogs, you're going to be better off. And so I took that advice, and I just kept a couple of dogs, and I'd borrow Alfredo's, and I started hunting in the Huachucas, and that's where I, I started with. And uh, that's been, oh, I guess pretty close to 50 years ago. And gradually, um, I um, uh, had another ranch right next on uh, where the Parker Canyon Lake is. And then I went on to the Glures, and I had one in the old, where the old power shooting took place. And then I wound up on Eagle Creek and on Blue River, and... Um, eventually over here, and I've owned, Lois and I have owned eight, this is the eighth ranch that we've owned, and um, uh, it, uh, every one of those ranches seemed to have a lion problem, and um, I, um, uh, and, and bear, and I uh, have hunted a lot in Mexico, in northern Mexico, I've never been way down in, in, in Mexico, but it's all uh, from the Chihuahua line all the way down to um, Lower California, all the way down the Baja there. And I have hunted lions. Ted Ferguson and I hunted lions for the Mexican government on a sheep project there. So one thing led to another, and I guess you might say, and um, I uh, don't take dudes. I, I, I've taken some hunters. Uh, over the years, but now I don't take any more. I've got some doctor friends that I started taking hunting 40 years ago, and we're still going. And they're all from Tucson, and we've just had a real good time with them. Um, I've, um, I guess, uh, a lot of it was word of mouth. Um, for example, they kind of kid me about this, but uh, I was buying a ranch in Parker Canyon, it's the second ranch I had, and um, everything was together and we were supposed to be at the lawyer's office in Nogales at nine o'clock to close the deal. And um, anyway, uh, that night before, a neighbor, Bud Ewing and Adam Kidoga came over and he said, the lion killed a big calf last night and it's buried. Well, here I was supposed to close a ranch deal at nine o'clock in the morning and these guys came over and said they had a lion. So what I did, I didn't have a phone, so I sent the wife to town and it, she was there at nine o'clock. I went down early that morning, and we caught the lion and uh, took care of that. And I got back there at the uh, lawyer's office about four o'clock in the afternoon. I had the dogs, the lion, the mule, and the whole work, and they waited for me. <laughs> I think that picture is right there, right there, right that one is. You can see it right there with Bud Ewing and Adam Kidoga. But uh -huh. they kidded me about that for years. <laughs> But um, uh, Ted Ferguson and I became real good friends, and uh, he and I hunted a lot together, and Alfredo at 80 was another one. And they were just people there in Santa Cruz County, or Ted lived in Stafford. Um, Alfredo lived at uh, Washington Camp. And in those days, there was just three or four bunches of dogs. Bob Kane had one, a bunch, and Doug Cummings had a bunch of dogs, and Bob Regeer had a bunch of dogs in the Santa Rita. And um, we were the only people that really hunted there, and uh, we all respected each other, and we wouldn't go over to hunt in somebody else's territory unless we were invited. But we all invited each other, and so they'd come and hunt with me, and I'd go hunt with them. <laughs> and that's the way uh, they used to do it. Yeah. I've talked to you before about pups, and I know you like to use the term that you like a pup that shine. You Can you explain that a little bit? Well, I like I like First of all, uh, I like to see a dog that's got good, tight feet on it. It stands up good. These coon-footed dogs, uh, they've got, and if it's black feet, it's better. But I like to see it stand up, and I like to see a sharpness in the dog. Um, I, um, uh, that kind of indicates that uh, the dog's got some brains to him. And you can get in some of these predicaments. And you wonder what's going on, and uh, I just felt that a dog that had sharpness in it had more, uh, I guess you might say, he figures things out quicker. Uh, sometimes you'll jump a line, it'll run back one way, and, and then pretty soon he'll come back over his tracks, and it takes a sharp dog to figure that one out. And so I like to see those pups uh, that, that, that show sharpness in them. And then um, uh, I take a lot of time with a pup. Uh, first of all, I'm going to say a young dog. Uh, I'll take him and fool around the house here with him. And, and um, if he's, if, if, if he's uh, uh, 
watch him and he might run rabbits and things like that but if he let he learns his nose to use his nose um then i'll take him a horseback whenever i go do anything i'll go i'll take my dogs with me whether i hunt or whether i just go check cattle i'll take three or four of them with me or two or three or whatever it is and if there's a pup there i like to take him along uh he kind of gets to learn about getting around the country that way and uh, i think each dog is going to be different i think that um, you kind of study a dog um, and kind of figure how you're going to work with him i've got a dog down here that came from leon cock he gave me and i call him banana and he's into everything and uh, he's a little different but i just uh, i just kind of sit back and watch him and then figure out what i'm going to do with him the first thing i had to get the dog to bond to me so I'd take him with me in the pickup. Uh, if I went to change water or anything I'd do, that dog would go with me. And I got him to bond with me, and, and now he's uh, coming right along. But it takes time. Some dogs learn quicker. I've got another pup that's just a little older than he is, and this dog just fell in and went right on. But this one that um, uh, I call Banana, he's a little different, and you just got to figure him out. Uh, but that... Um, I uh, I call a pup up till they're about two years old because they're still that puppy age sometimes. But I just let them go with me, and whenever I do anything, if it's a horseback or if it's a, in the pickup, I let them to ride so that they can they can bond with you. I think that's the main thing. So whenever you go up and say there's a litter of eight pups, that one that shines will will stand down like a sore thumb, won't it? That one, and I, if it's a, if it's a runt, I like a runt. A run. A run. Uh -huh. um, we were up at, at uh, for example, we were up at Larry Hendricks the other day, and he had a litter of pups. And Leon Cox and I were there looking at them, and, and um, uh, we noticed this run. And uh, both of us said the same thing. That's the pup that I'd like to have, that run. Uh -huh. um, I don't know what, but it's just, it just, uh, it, and they all don't turn out, all pups don't turn out, but at least it seems to have more luck with a run. It's just my theory. I don't know if it's right or not. What size dog do you like and weight a male? I like a small dog. Uh -huh. um, I don't, I don't, I, I'm just partial to them. I'm, there's some big dogs that I'm sure are good, but um, a little dog can get around in these rocks and these bluffs, and um, they're, uh, uh, they're, you don't have to feed as much, and you can put more in the back of a pickup. So that's kind of what I'm, I'm partial to. Um, but I've had some big dogs, and they were good dogs. Uh -huh. But it's just um, what I have now are smaller dogs. Um, I had a little dog, a walker dog, that um, we called Maggie, and uh, she got to be a favorite. And uh, she, um, uh, she'd sleep in the house just like a house dog, and you could take her and go catch a lion with her, and she'd try and catch a bear. She'd been slapped by a bear one time, so she had a little cautious with that. But um, uh, I guess you get favorites. I know I do. Yeah. Both Lois and I, myself are both um, have dogs that are favorite. We have one dog here now, one pup. Uh, we call him Eddie Lee, and a pig broke his jaw in three places. And I think there's a picture of Dr. Wenzel that put a bumper on it to protect it, and uh, Lois doctored that dog and doctored that dog, and that's her favorite. And uh, the dog got over, and he's here today, and he's not scared. He's, 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 I thought it maybe make him a little bit um, uh, hesitant to get in there, but he's doing all right. What type of feed do you feed your dog? I'd like to feed Purina uh, if I can get it. Uh, I use this Western, which is pretty close. I used to feed Purina all the time, but um, where I get it in Silver City, they don't have it. And so I use this Western, which I can get from them, and it is uh, pretty close to that. Do you feed that same feed year-round? Oh, I'll get into wintertime. I'll feed more, um, uh, more high-protein when it's colder. And I'll take tallow, or I'll feed um, uh, sometimes a little... A meat with them, uh, scraps or something like that. Kind of, if you're working the dog hard, they need that um, uh, uh, meat. Mm -hmm. And whenever I catch something, I've taken and um, I'll always feed those dogs. We'll sit down and they'll they'll eat. And I feed them uh, whenever we catch them. I'll feed them off of the carcass of the lion or the bear. Uh, the um, 
um, uh, it's just, uh, I guess you'd say it's a reward. They get chew on it, and then it rewards. And so um, uh, it, uh, it, it just helps them, and especially in the wintertime when it gets cold. They need that extra high protein, and uh, they need that extra. Uh, and I'll give them um, some minerals and things like that also, help them to boost them on. Um, they just perform a lot better. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to have them in great shape, too. Yes, you do. I mean, it's just like anything. Uh, if your animal is, or your dog or your horse or your mule is poor, it can't perform. Exactly. Uh, that's the important thing. I mean, you uh, even with our cows, uh, if they get down, you got to take care of them. And the same thing with your dog or horses or mules or whatever you're riding. And we grain our horses um, and mules, and uh, those dogs get uh, top feet. Those horses and mules have to be shod too, don't they? Yes, they do. Uh, that's very important. Um, uh, one time I was down in the Sierra Madres hunting in this ranch, and it was a poor, poor place. Um, and we had horses and mules we were riding, and they got pretty low on their, they didn't have any shoes on them, and they were trying to go downhill, and they were going sideways. So this cowboy, uh, he was there, and he cooked on a on a fireplace outside and we asked him if he um, get some shoes so we could chew these horses and mules and he says okay i'll get some so in about three days he had a radio that he could talk back down to compass and order supplies and stuff anyway in about three days a truck came up and brought us our supplies and he brought this rebar and we made those shoes we had a forge there and we made those shoes and shod those horses and mules out of rebar and it worked Worked good. It worked good, and I've thought about that. And if you don't get them, if you don't keep them shot and 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 um, take care of them, well, they can't perform for you. If you're out hunting, say six or seven days, do you rotate your horses or mules? Oh yes, I use one one day and another one the next day. I like to rotate them and do if and the same thing with the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got one little dog that. Um, uh, uh, called Sadie and she's tough and she could probably go two days but I but it's better just to rotate them and those animals uh, that you have um, um, they're they've got to be rotated uh, of course there are some mules and horses that wouldn't hurt to go two or three days in a row to kind of keep them off there <laughs> so keep them gentle but um, the ones we've got are all uh, pretty proven horses and mules and uh, so we take awful awful good care of them would you rather ride a mule or a horse i'd like to ride a mule better they get around in uh in these rocks and boulders i've seen some good horses uh i've got a little horse over here that's a mustang and he gets around good but uh, a gentle mule is um uh, pretty darn good and i had an experience one time i was in the middle of the glures and I was by myself, and I was chasing the maverick bull, and the horse, and I, I bought this horse in Central, in Stafford, from a gentleman there, and my friend, friend Ted Ferguson said that that horse was gentle. Anyway, I was chasing this maverick bull, and this horse fell with me. And when it got up, my foot was hung in the stirrup, and I was over the top of the horse and hanging upside down. And that horse got up, and he just stood there. And there's a lot of things that go through your mind when you're hanging in that position and there's no way in the world that anybody's going to find you there. And I took and I did the back cinch and then I undid the front cinch and I pulled the whole saddle and everything over the top of me. And I got my foot out and the horse just stood there. And I've thought about that many times because a gentle horse or gentle mule is very, very important. So I guess that, um, uh, and I've thought about that because that man told me, he said that horse was gentle, and he was. I bet you liked that horse. You bet I did. I kept that horse till he finally died, but <laughs> I kept him all the rest of his life. How about any other racks? You ever get into more, any more? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and not lion hunting. I've chasing cows and stuff like that. I've been bucked off, and I've been um, drugged, and I've been kicked in the head, and a lot of funny things have happened to me, but as far as lion hunting, you got you don't go in any fast pace. If you get after those dead blame bears, well, they'll take you for quite a ride. But um, um, if you just kind of poke along, like following them dogs and with uh, on a lion track, well, you don't have to get in any fancy fancy race. 
you rather run a bear or a lion? Well, I've waltzed around with those bears quite a few times. <laughs> and um, I'd rather run a lion because you can sit down and watch those dogs. And to me, that's the whole thing right there. Um, one bear story that I might throw in here. Years ago, we were hunting, and I had a fellow named Jesus Barrios that was a cowboy. And we were hunting out of Sunnyside, Ted Ferguson, myself. And um, we went up top of the Huachucas and got up Pat Scott Peak, and we're going down the background bone. And we hit a bear track. And I don't, uh, Jesus, we called him Cananea. He was a cowboy was with us for years, but anyway, he used to ride this black Persian horse. So Ted said, send Jesus back down towards Miller Peak and uh, see which way those dogs are going to go. We'll come back and look for a, uh, for, a line, uh, for a track to see if we're going right. Well, we found the dogs were going right, so we went on back down to a couple of saddles, and we found the black horse tied to the fence. And so we wondered where Jesus went to, and we went off towards the copper glance side a ways and it was real thick brush and here comes jesus and he says it's a bear it's a bear he says he's got a three foot wide head on him and he says he's the size of that black horse <laughs> well he was excited and jumping up and down and uh, we got him calmed down and apparently he heard those dogs off on the copper glance side so he goes crawling through this deer trail in this brush and the dogs came up the other way and he looked up and that bear was probably about 10 feet in front of him coming right towards towards him so all he could do was just dive off to the side and let that bear go by well uh they run that dad blame thing off into car canyon and i don't know all over the place and that afternoon they finally got him stopped over there and back on the Wakefield side, and uh, that bear was not three foot wide. He wasn't size of that <laughs> that person horse, but he was a nice bear. But he was nothing like that. So he was a little excited about that. Oh, he was up. He was jumping up and down, and he was quite excited. Have you ever been scared while you're out hunting? Well, I guess. Uh, I guess that uh, you get a little nervous. I'll say yes. Um, back in 1961, uh, uh, Barnett over in Seneca Ranch, which is north of Sonoida, uh, had something killing cattle. And Ted Ferguson and I went over there, and it was a jaguar. And we trailed that jaguar all the way down to the um, Interstate 10, and it went back up into the whetstone uh we had to trail that deal a foot we had it was quite a quite a chore and we didn't catch it the first time the we went back about a month later they came and got us and that thing had come back and killed two more calves and we went ted came from safford and i came from sunnyside and we met there at the Seneca ranch that night and there was harry barnett um ed hilton myself and ted ferguson and we hit that track that morning and the dogs trailed it up to a New York mine, and all over the place that dogs trailed that thing, but they wouldn't go in that mine tunnel. So we built some torches and went in that mine tunnel about 200 feet, and we didn't find the Jaguar in that tunnel. But what goes through your mind is you don't know, you're sitting there with a torch made out of sotol, and you don't get too much light in front. And the smoke got so bad that we had to come back out. Well, um, Harry Barnett went home and got a flashlight and came back. It took him quite a while. And it was Mr. Hilton's gun. It was Ed Hilton's gun. And uh, Ted and Harry Barnett went in the next tunnel. You go in on the first tunnel about 60 feet and you make a left. And you went in about another 60, 70 feet. And then you turned to the right and went north. And that tunnel makes a little bend at the end, and that's where the Jaguar was. Well, I was outside at that time with Mr. Hilton, and we heard three shots. And Mr. Hilton says, that's all the shells the guns got. <laughs> and sure enough, out comes Harry and Ted, and they said, that thing is in there. And um, so we reloaded the gun, and we went back in there, 
and you could go in that deal and you had to hug the wall on the left side and you could see that thing and he was crouched down and then we got a little bit closer and as we got a little bit closer he came a little bit closer and anyway we i know remember him growling at it and harry shot that gun that jaguar in that uh tunnel and i was a little bit uncomfortable in there mm-hmm. um that thing had killed quite a few cattle uh, I think it probably killed about $10,000 worth of cattle before we catch it. One fellow there, it killed half his calf drop. So I was very, very fortunate that they came and got us, and uh, I just was honored that they thought that much of us that, to try and catch it, and we did, and it's, quite, it's the jaguar that's hanging hang on the wall there. Yeah. In the wild, without dogs, how many lions do you think you've seen? Well, not very many. I saw one crossing the road here one day, and I had to get, look at it to see if I saw, thought I saw a lion, and it was. <laughs> oh. And then I thought, I think I saw another one up there in the Huachucas one time, just cowboying around. But if there's been three, that's probably quite a bit. Uh, you don't see them. They'll, they'll sneak, and they cross around, and you don't get to see them much. What about some of the tricks you've seen them pull on you? Oh, there's been some interesting things. I, uh, uh, I've seen them jump out of a tree or jump out of a bluff and they'll go down a place and maybe get in a tree and when the dogs cross then they'll turn around and come right back over the top of a uh, of their same track and it takes a little while for those dogs to figure that one out especially that some of them will try and tree again but there are some dogs that uh, um, have that's where the sharpness come in figure that things out uh, a lot of times you're uh, cold trailing one of these lines and you'll come to a dead spot and here you are and i'll get off and work with them and and when i do that it seems like that it encourages them more they'll go to looking harder and and you'll have a dog sometimes that gets out in front and tucks in front finds a track and then they'll go on it'll start on and then the rest of them will go and i i work with those dogs as much as i can um but uh, they'll get in those bluffs and they'll crouch down and get behind a tree and you can't see them um I um, uh, had a deal here uh, in, uh, oh, down three-way here. A horse, a lion caught a horse, and Keith Wilkerson got me. And we went down, and we were three days behind this deal that we knew of. And uh, we um, uh, kind of figured maybe where the lion might go. And there were some bluffs up there in rough country up the head of the, of the uh canyon there and there was a subdivision below us and we didn't think the line would went that way so we went down there and we didn't actually see the horse or anything like that we were just heard about it and we fooled around fooled around and hit that line track and and uh trailed it and it was pretty tough but the dogs could work it we just kept the hammering on it and we took it i guess three or four miles sometimes they'd lose it and we'd help them pretty soon that line went out went underneath a row of bluffs over there and uh uh, big boulders, and it was quite a boulder pile there. And and anyway, um, the dogs worked pretty slow through there. And uh, we could watching them. We kept watching them, and we got up there. And all of a sudden, we went around over there. And I asked Keith. I said, uh, "Do you hear a dog?" And he says, "Yeah." He says, "It's over there in the plum orchard." Well, there's a piece of ground the old timers called the plum orchard. And I said, "I think that's Jr." And he says, yeah. He says, I can hear that dog. And that dog had the lion treed, and it was quite a ways in front of him. And pretty soon all the rest of the dogs got it out of that bad spot, and they went right straight off a canyon right to that tree, and they all went treeing. Hmm. And this lion was real, real old. This lion had a, a gray all over his face. He had a great big scar on him here from one from the bottom to the shoulder and i don't know what happened there but anyway uh keith had a tag and he shot the lion and uh, uh we looked at it and it didn't have a tooth in his mouth just two knobs where the fangs are and that lion was plumb fat and that was over there at clifton and there's a bunch of sheep over there. Now, i wondered if that lion uh been eating those sheep but uh, he had killed a deer and we went by that and he had deer meet him but he was real fat so i think that that's where he was he was right around there but he was i don't know how old i never did i'd say he was 20 years old my goodness but he was pretty good shape 
what's the biggest line you've ever caught? I don't in, know. In length or weight? I I guess that uh, I um I've never really measured them. Uh, I think seven, eight. Uh, this line that's on the wall is a pretty good sized line. It was caught over in Fritz Canyon there. I don't think I think he went about seven, eight. Um, I did catch one here uh, that I weighed where I could weigh it, and it weighed 160 pounds. He's Oh, he's around here somewhere in one of these pictures, but it's kind of hard to pack a scales with you and all that stuff. <laughs> and um, anyway, uh, just as the line drops like that, if you do have a measuring tape, you can measure it from the tip of the nose and go right on back to the tip of the tail. And that's the actual weight. Uh, I've stretched those hides to where you can get quite a long line hide out of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think they'll stretch about three feet. <laughs> but the actual way where the line drops, I think that, and then you weigh, you measure it from the center of the back to the paw. But um, uh, actually, it, it's kind of hard to weigh one uh-huh. because packing it off there, and and so I don't know. There's, I think uh, there's a line right there on the that was taken in the Santa Rita that um, was a big line, but I never did weigh it. And then there's a picture of the leaves over there in the Chiricahs that weighed a 212-pound lion, and I believe that. Yeah. I believe that. And then there's another one that in here that Jeff Brent sent from somewhere up north, and I think it's 217 pounds. But it's kind of hard to weigh them because if you're just out there knocking around and you're uh, to, to pack them, to pack them off, uh, and I don't want to pack a scale and everything like that. Yeah. Do you consider your daughter's cold note? <laughs> They're cold enough. Um, I've got a couple of dogs that are more colder than others, but um, uh, I've had some. Uh, you get a real cold-nosed dog, and and uh, I had a dog one time that was part bloodhound, and he was cold-nosed, and you'd catch the lion, been off over there um, skinning it, and by gosh, he'd finally show up, but it took him a little while. <laughs> but he'd stay on there. Uh-huh. But these dogs I got nowadays, are they're good enough. Yeah. Uh, I've got, um, uh, uh, they, uh, um, probably not as cold as I used to have, but I, they're, they're good enough for what I want them for. Now you still go best to best. Uh, there's no registered dogs. Uh, you guys get together and you trade pups and steal pups from one or the other. And that, uh, that's the, the dogs that I have now, um, I've, I've Leon Cox, I got me two females, and those dogs went back to Wiley Carroll. And I took one of them called uh, Freckles, and I took it over to Terrell, Shelly, and we bred that dog uh, to one of Terrell's, or his male to this female. And then uh, I hunted with Scott Derringer, and he had some dogs that went back to, to uh, Goswick. And then he had a dog that went back to Ted Ferguson. So, and then I hunted another time with Scott Derringer, and he had a dog called Radar that I liked. And that dog, he was sharp. He'd get out there in front and get things going. And I said, right there while I was hunting, I said, you want to sell that dog? And he says, yeah. And I said, what do you want for him? And he told me, and I said, sold right there. And I brought that dog back, and he helped mine. He helped mine. And I've got pups out of him. I've got uh, pups out of him now. So it's just... um, um, it's a good female over here to a good male over here, and that one that appeals to me. So that's kind of the dogs that I've got. I've had, I've got Sammy Foster's widow had three dogs that Sammy trained, and um, he, they were his, and I bought them from her. And uh, one of them was called Miley, and the other one called uh, Mac and Sherlock Holmes. And Sherlock Holmes and Mac were crossed with something else. Matter of fact, Mac was crossed with a with a pit bull cross that Buddy Allred had, and uh, those two dogs could trail a line just as good as any of them. And they had grit to them. They were better bear dogs. Uh, the dogs that I have now think they're bear dogs, but <laughs> they give those bear a little, little, little. And I, I guess you'd say I'd rather um, trail lions. And uh, um, those bear, uh, you can get some inter- interesting situations with them. Yeah, I know. You've never used training sense or anything like that to start your pups? No. Uh, well, I guess to start pup, um, I just take them with me. I'll go coon hunting on this river. And if I have a pup that's a little bit, he doesn't uh, tree real good. 
and I'll take a coon and put him in a cage, and I might take a coon scent, take him up there to get him to started to that deal, to where he can look in the and 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 look in the and go to treeing. I've taken a lion hide and drug it, and I've put a lion hide in a tree, and they don't seem to work that well. They've got to have a movable object in that tree, and uh, sometimes that scent, that coon scent, I'll use it that way. Uh, and that way, it uh, it kind of gets them to where they'll go to lurk, look up. And but uh, as far as training the dogs with that, uh, I don't want to use that. What about shotgun collars? Do you ever use those? Yes, I've used those, and they're these tracking shocking collars that we've got now are um, they're. The Tritronics, they are the good ones. I like those. I had one that Marvin Glenn designed, and it had a buzzer on it, and it had a buzzer and a shocker. And it was good for certain dogs because that buzzer just reminded them that they had a, uh, you had control over them. But the ones they have nowadays, you can move them to certain, um, I guess you give them a certain shock. And those are real good because you can regulate them. Some dogs don't take that shocking too good you can ruin a dog real easy so you got to be real careful with them but uh, uh, i use them they get these dogs uh, when you first turn them out sometimes they get um well they can't hear too good and i'll put one of those on them just to hang it on them there and give them a little buzz and they'll straighten out real quick uh if you hunt all the time then you kind of take care of that by hunting them they need to be wore down but um i think it's a good thing yeah. And I'd rather take just one pup at a time. When you take two, it's just like taking two kids. They can always get in trouble. And um, those pups uh, just take one at a time. And then as they get older, then you can you can fit them in. Now, when you take that pup out and, and say you've started him trailing and everything like that, and then all of a sudden he goes over to deer, whenever you shock him or... or Break, try to break him off that deer, then you have to come right back and and run him on some game that you want him to run on. You you better get better get that stopped before they go too far. And then get him back in with that bunch, and then go on and then get on that game. And um, you got to kind of keep watching, but he doesn't drop over to that um, run something you don't want him to run. Right. We have a big problem with elk here because there's a lot of elk. There's not too many deer left, but there's a lot of elk, and that's our biggest problem. But you don't. You you, you really have to be careful with that shocking collar. You you don't want to get on him too much, too often without running the stuff you want him to run. He's got to know what to run, what not to run. Well, he's got to know that, and you got to teach him that. And 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 like I say, some of those dogs can take more of a shock than others. So you've got to be real careful because you can ruin a dog real quick. So. Um, it's um but it's a good tool if you use it right right if you use it right you have to be careful with that you have to be careful i i agree with you 100 percent on one one pup at a time yes whenever you're working with that uh -huh. dog because you have that dog's attention if you take the two then then all they want to do is play they're yeah. not going to pay much That's attention right. to you and each pup's going to be different so you got to figure it out and uh and then um uh, they can learn bad habits a lot quicker. They can learn good habits. Yeah. Well, they're awfully good at getting into everything they're not supposed to get into. Oh, yeah, that's sure <laughs> true. <laughs> How many years have you been lion hunting? I started in the early 50s, so I've been around, I guess, for pretty close to 50 years. What do you think about the future of lion, lion hunting here in New Mexico? Well, I don't know. It doesn't look very good. Uh, our new game commission we have here and what's going on um, is um, I think that um, uh, I don't think I think we've seen the best of it. Mm -hmm. I think we've seen the best of lion hunting and um, people use different techniques nowadays. And, and uh, I think the old fashioned way is, is, is going out. And uh, I don't know. I've heard about the deal in Arizona, and I wondered how that's going to turn out. If whatever happens over there is going to happen over here, and so I'm kind of scared. I don't. Uh, I don't. Um, I hope that it, if they get it all resolved, because if you hunt with dogs and if you hunt lions and hunt sensibly, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, but. Uh, that's the way the thing goes, I guess. What about wolves? Do you bother with those wolves that turn loose here? Well, there's wolves here, and um, uh, I haven't ever seen one. But over there at the 6K6, 
in Arizona, we had that ranch, and that created quite a problem. And up ahead of Vu, it created quite a problem. And uh, those, uh, that's another thing. It could stop the whole thing. Um, I've heard uh, where they've killed quite a few cattle, and, and I don't know. We've never experienced that yet. Now, when we lived down on the Mexican border, we experienced that, but that was quite a few years ago. But these that they've introduced, I don't think they're afraid of a people. No. They're just uh, like a big dog. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I understand they have to drive up and down the road to honk the horn to yeah. bring them to the dinner bell there. Now, when we lived there at Sunnyside, uh, we had a, a real wild wolf come in, and, and uh, one of the kids said, look at the big dog that was the Orly. That was the Orly was the cow dog, and uh, that was a female wolf in heat. And that cow dog left for about two, three days, and then it came back. But so um, anything can happen. So there's a little bitty Orly in those wolves. There's a little bit of Orly in some wolves there. <laughs> Looking back, would you have changed anything in your life? No, I don't think so. I, one thing that I've kind of regretted is Clearly asked me to go up and help him with some hunts one time, and, and um, I uh, really wanted to. I had an uh, 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 operation that I had to have, and I couldn't go. And, of course, uh, that was toward Clell's, um hunting days, and... Uh, uh, I wish I'd have hunted with him. I've hunted with different people, but Clell was kind of a, I don't know, we were pretty close to Clell. And he helped me in my younger years by giving me two old dogs one time, and he knew that I had run out of uh, old dogs, and he gave me two of them. One of them called Tuffy and one of them called Bobby. And I got another bunch of dogs started, and Clell was, uh, he helped me that way. And um, I just uh, felt both he and Catherine are, they were very close to it. Those two guys were just absolutely insane about lion hunting, weren't they? I think they were. Um, there was, um, I don't remember how many brothers they were. I didn't know the others, uh, but I did know Clell and, and, and Dale. Yeah. And uh, I think there was three or four of them or something well, There was like at least four. I'm yeah. thinking five, but yeah. at least four and two of them. Were killed. were killed, yeah. yeah. But they were the they were the greatest hunters. Those were, yeah. And they could tell quite a story. Um, but Clell, um, uh, like to say, he was. We were neighbors to him, and we knew him the best. Yeah, Dale. Uh, he, I think he was was a game manager or something at Fort Huachuca. He was a game manager at Fort Huachuca, and that's when I got to know him. Yeah. Uh, we lived there at Sunnyside on the other side there, and um, anyway, uh, he was a game manager, I think, back in the late 60s or 65 or something like that. I forget the exact year. Um, one of the, um, but, uh, uh, and I remember him real well then, and then, of course, he moved up here with Clell and Dale to his later years, later year, and he was over on Blue River. Shorty Lines, did you ever get to meet him? I've met him, but I, 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 I don't, um, I never, I just met him in, when we moved over here, he lived up Mogollon, but yeah. that's all I've just met him. Yeah. Dub Evan, in his book, uh, he quoted, well, one of the Lee brothers sent him a letter where they had started a line on a seven-day track and another one on a five-day track, and they caught those lines. Yeah. What do you think it would take scent conditions today to catch the line, say, on a five-day track? What would be the weather conditions? Well, it would have to be awful good conditions. Um, uh, I think it would have to be some moisture in there, dry, you know, as dry as it's been this year. But I could see where it could be done. And uh, you keep hammering on that track and working with those dogs, and uh, uh, they, um, uh, it can be done. And they had those old cold-nosed dogs then. Well, they were also good about uh, going, t pulling off that track and say, well, we'll pick it up over here five miles this way. That. The whole thing right there, uh, you take, and uh, if you've trailed enough lines, you kind of know which way they're going to go, and what you'll do and, uh, is cut in front mm -hmm. and pick that track up. Uh, I think that's something that uh, is very important, and I think you'll find these old line hunters will do that. And uh, you just talk to them, and I believe they'll say the same thing. And mm -hmm. they know which way that line's going to go or where he thinks he's going to go. And um, uh, you'll pick your dogs up, and, and uh, uh, when you come back the next day, maybe you'll go a little bit further in front so you can gain a little bit that way. But it takes 
following those dogs for many, many, many miles to 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 know what what to go. That out, yeah. yeah, I think it's um, uh, it's uh, it's something that uh, well, it's an act that's forgotten. Well, the old dry ground hunters, the ones who just like to go out on mules or horses and and, and cut a track somewhere and work that dog or work that line, that pretty much gone. It's it's that's a special kind of hunter yeah. and a special breed of hunter. And um, those people are, well, it's, it's, it's coming to the end. Um, I used to like to hunt with Ray Freeman, and Ray Freeman would study those dogs while they were trailing. He would study them. He'd watch them, and he'd study those dogs. And he'd get right down and, 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 and study with them. And uh, uh, if um, that was the whole thing. That's the whole thing right there. Um, I think that, uh, and I, I like to do that. I like to do that to see which dog can figure this deal out. And uh, some are better than others, and you can kind of learn a lot about your dogs that way. Um, here, I don't know, three or four years ago, I went up the river and I treated a female and a kitten. And uh, it was meandering all over the place over there. And I'd come back the next day and I'd take those dogs. We'd find that track. We just trailed that that blame thing around. And this female with kitten would go up to these high points and they'd get on top of these high ridges along the river and they'd fool around and those two lines would separate and they'd come together and the dogs would separate. But that I just kept following around there for two or three days just to watch to see where they'd go. And um, uh, it was interesting because uh, one dog would pick it up over here and away we'd go over here and one would go over there and then they'd get back together again and they must like to get up on top of those high points and they can look because they'd be spend a lot of time on those high points. And then we'd trail them on, but I had more fun doing that than I had. If you catch one of the dad blame things and got to skin it out, then the work starts. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the way to look at it. Line scrape, front or back. I know you're going to ask me that question. <laughs> I got to ask them all. You got to ask them all. Um, I think they scratch with the front feet. Now I've never seen a lion scratch. A lion scratch. I've had lions and, and tame lions, and I've I've never had a tom. I had a tom and got loose. But um, I think they scratch with their front feet, and they scratch in soft spots. Now. There's three pictures of lion's front paws up there that I caught in different places, and their toes have holes in The pack feet, their toes weren't, didn't have holes in That could be from covering a kill, using the front paw to cover the kill. But I, and I've seen lion scratches in very um, uh, interesting places where it looked like they had to scratch with the hind feet. I'm, 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 but I think they scratched with the front feet. But I can tell you one thing about a lion scratch. If that dirt pulled to the back, you better go that way because if you go this way, it might be a while before you catch it. <laughs> now, over on Blue River, Freddie Fritz and Freddie and Jimmy Cosper used to call those pulls. They'd say there's a lion pull over there. And then on other places I've heard them call kick. Right over here I've heard them call kick and then I've heard them call scratches and markers. So you see they are in different in different places. Uh-huh. But um, uh, in this book, here is a, a transcript of to dub, uh, uh, Frank Doby, explained by Frank Doby. And this is Ben Lilly's uh, papers that he wrote online. In, uh, it came out of a doctor's office in Baird, New Mexico. And uh, this... Mr. McFadden, I think, put it together, and he got he he got these um, uh, uh, got this and uh, put this book together, and someone gave it to me. I don't know who gave it to me for this deal, but anyway, in here um, uh, he describes about lion scratches, and it says that um, uh, right here that they uh, make them with their front feet. Yeah, I remember that. And so it's kind of interesting. And this was oh, this was way back in the turn of the century, and it talks about uh, trailing a lion over there in Rousensock and putting it in those bluffs between Rousensock and Squaw Creek, and I know where those bluffs are, and I've put lions in the same place. Huh. And this is, oh, I don't know, this is uh, um, 100 years ago when he was over there. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting, those old things like that. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you'd like to say or talk about? Well, I don't know. I'm 
I guess that uh, oh, I'd like to say one thing that uh, um, I I don't. I don't sell dogs anymore. These dogs that I've got are, are um, we've raised them, and Lois and I have put them together, and she takes care of these dogs, and if you ask her if there's any of those dogs for, for, are for sale, she's going to tell you that no. Uh, they're part of the family. Sure. Uh, they, uh, she's the one that doctors them. If there's something goes wrong with them, boy, she's on top of it right away, and uh, she's uh, doctors and takes care of them. She's hunted a lot with me also. But she's a big part of this deal here, and she takes care of those dogs just like those two Jack Russell. And so um, I think that she plays a big part of this, too. Yeah, of course she does. Um, but um, uh, she's all she's kind of favorite this little dog called Eddie Lee because I, I take and put a, I have to put a tracking collar on him because she wants to know right away whether Eddie Lee's back. <laughs> but it's just security. Yeah. Um, I guess that uh, I tell another little story uh, about tracking collars. I have a set of tracking collars. I don't use them. I use them this way. Oh, it was 1902. I was uh, hunting over in Arizona, and I got trailing a dad blame lion, and I got going away from home. And I kept it going, and I kept it going, and I got following that track. And I was so, I don't know, I just get to, to watching those dogs work, and it just kind of, I don't know, it uh, was quite a quite a deal. And I got way off over there in Bear Valley, and it got snowing on me, and I was getting dark, and I thought, what are you doing over here? <laughs> I caught one line that morning, and they got after another one. Anyway, I got my dog's neck together and started home, and I got back here way, way after dark. It was a long ways, and she was worried. She called Raymond. She said, Sewell hasn't gotten back. I don't know where he is. And uh, I think I was only about 72 at that time. And um, anyway, I made up my mind from then on that whenever I went hunting, I'd take and put a tracking collar on two or three of those dogs, but I'd give her the receiver and the transmitter. And if I didn't get back, she could always find, because those dogs will be with me. Yeah. And she can pick up those dogs with that tracker. But she's got the tracker and she knows where I am. That's a good idea. Well, it's just a security. Sure. You know, you can get out there and be fumbling around and and uh, and it's just security for everybody. Yeah. Well, you got to put them on dogs. You'd look funny having that on your neck, wouldn't you? Well, I'll tell you what, I've done some funny things with one of those tracking collars. <laughs> okay.